Welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I am your secret keeper and confidant, Lauren White. I'm a qualified counsellor and sexologist, facilitator of all things turn on, author of permission, and a witty, highly intuitive lounge room dancing introvert. I help you as an exceptional woman in entrepreneurship to see, love, and trust all the parts of yourself, especially the unseen. Let's pull back the curtain, light the candelabra, and lift the veil. These are the secrets women keep. Hello, and welcome to the secrets women keep. I am your host and confidant, Lauren White, and today we have a complete space cadet for a guest. And it just so happens to be my first guest on the podcast that identifies as a man. His name is Edwin Beter. Edwin is a Pisces sun with a Gemini moon and a manifesting generator. He is a leader on the rise within the Australian and international space industry, a doting father of two daughters, a lover, a giver, a dreamer, whose catch cry to life is, why not? Oh, and he just happens to be my betrothed for 14 years. Edwin, my husband, my partner in crime and life, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for a very lovely introduction. I would love to start our podcast episode together. Please do. By you sharing sharing with people how we met because people love this story. I would love your version, actually. It would be so interesting for me after 25 years to hear this version. Uh, you were the girl next door. You were the younger girl next door. Um, how we met, uh, I think it was yourself and your middle sister still living at home. I was the raging hormone teenager, young adult, um, very excited to be surrounded by amazing women. Um, I, I probably would have referred to it in less, uh, you know, maybe more uncouth terms back then. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, my fondest memories before we started dating or anything like that was I was like the garbage can that you guys would invite around. It's like, we've got leftovers. Right. Come around. Come around. Meet, meet our family and eat, and eat the scraps. So we've got too much food. And it's like, I loved it come around for a swim and, and eat and hang out with, like, all these hot women. Like, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> Food and women. It's a, it's a way to my heart. I know. And I think we'd often add a beer on top, of which you yeah. loved at the time. And you don't really love so much anymore, but at the time, being a, like, you had a voracious appetite because you were playing water polo, just had to drop that in, um, hashtag water polo. Uh, you're playing it sometimes twice a day, and you were just, um, you were a garbage can because you needed so many calories to keep up with how much exercise you were doing. I couldn't put on weight. No, I struggled weight. to put on weight. And yeah. I, I yeah. ate I remember going over and you would just sit there with a litre of milk, like a carton of milk, and just scull it and then put the empty carton on the, like on the coffee table in front of the TV, and I'd just be... I was just astounded. It was incredulous. I couldn't believe that someone could just like chug chug milk. Like yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was a and family on of that one. Note, this is funny that this has come up on the podcast. This is a fun fact about Ed. Ed has an open gullet. And if anyone knows what that means, Ed. Sign up to my OnlyFans. Drink and eat like in record speed and is the Grafton pie eating champion. How many years, Eddie? How many years did you claim oh, that title? I was there for a couple of years and I claimed it for two years in a row. And <laughs> and I have to clarify, like this was not um, how many pies. It wasn't a quantity. It was a speed test. So it was Hank's speed. pies in Grafton. Yeah. yeah. Amazing, amazing pies. Um, and I was actually working in the car industry and someone thought, hey, I've seen Ed eat. You should actually go compete because um, you're a bit of a monster. Um, so I think it was like, you know, you it's like your four and 20 kind of meat pies. It was two pies in, I think, like 15 seconds or something ridiculous. So I was pretty happy with that. You're pretty happy. You're pretty chuffed, especially the first time you claim the title. The second time you're a bit of a shoulder shrug. You're like, I don't think you even told anyone the second time because you're like, yeah, it's just like a part of my fabric now. Um, yeah, and I remember done that. T- I've got the four kilos. <laughs> I remember you telling us the secret is that you've got to turn the pie upside down. <laughs> so the flaky so true. bits don't get caught the on the roof of the of pastry. Absolutely. The bottom pastry was so soft and supple, <laughs> but the top was so- flaky. So if if you put it, if you ate it with the top up, it would get stuck to the top of your roof of, the, of your mouth and it would dry your mouth out. So it was like you want to like get as much saliva as possible. You turn it upside down and you just shovel. You shovel. So to recap the story of how we met, because <laughs> we've gone off on a tangent, <laughs> which doesn't surprise me given the nature of our ordinary everyday conversations. There's a lot of tangents and a lot of inter- interruptions. But the story of how we met is that um, I was a braces-clad schoolgirl and um, with the uniform, the private school uniform and everything. (laughs) And my bedroom was on Eddie's driveway because they were on a battle axe property and their driveway ran past my window. And Ed and his friend, who was the best man at our wedding, Sean, they would come to my window and they would whisper, Lauren. <laughs> and I thought it was possums, like killer possums. <laughs> anyway, he is, um, Ed's always been a lot of fun. And um, I, I know that you know this now, Eddie, but obviously that maybe at the time, you probably knew at the time, look, who am I kidding? But obviously I remember, and I don't know if I've ever put it to you in these words, um, I remember the first time I saw you, I literally stopped, like everything in my whole body and psyche and mind. And I know I was a, you know, not even a 15-year-old school girl yet, <laughs> a teenager, but everything in my body just stopped. Like it was like time stopped the first time I ever saw you. And that doesn't happen very often in life, but the few moments it's happened to me when I've really been captured by someone, what it says to me is we're going to have a lifelong connection and or we've known each other in a previous lifetime. And for you, it was like beyond looks. It was just like I was so intrigued by you. Um, you were cute as fuck, though, let, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, and and um, funny enough, Joe, who I've seen as a medium on and off for, 
don't know, more than 12 years, gone more, way more than almost 15 years now, who you introduced me to, um, she said to me, and it took years for this to come out because I only see her once a year, was like one time she did a house cleanse on her house and she said, oh, yeah, you were in the you were in the defence force together, you were in the army together, you fought together, you were best buddies in a previous lifetime. And I just so wasn't shocked when I heard that. I was like, of course we've... Of course we know each other. Of course we've met before. Yeah. Um, no, it wasn't me climbing through your bedroom window. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. And um, <laughs> and on the note of my bedroom window, I used to, I, again, don't think I've ever told you this, but um, I remember one night, um, as you know, I used to smoke my ciggies out the window because I was a rebellious mm. teenager and, as you would say, a filthy smoker. Eddie filthy hates smoker. It. He hates it. But I remember making a wish to the universe that I would marry you someday. I remember that. And I was only, I must have been 15 years old. And I find that infinitely fascinating that I manifested our marriage um, and that I put that wish out there years before, 10 years before it happened. Have I ever told you that before? I think you have. I think you have said mm. that you always said, I'm going to marry that guy. Mm-hmm. Going to marry oh, that I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to tie him up, bundle him up, tie him up into a little ball. <laughs> and claim him as my own. Now, we didn't, it wasn't like a straight path from I was 15, I met you and we got together because we had a five and a half year age difference and Eddie I asked Eddie to my year 10 formal and he looked like Ben Affleck at the time. So, of course, I wanted to fucking take him to my formal. The fat um, Ben Affleck, though. Let's just clarify that. <laughs> You're so much better than him. But at the time, there were some similarities. Um, and you very politely declined and because you were 20 at the time and that was, and I totally understood, but my heart was like a bit gutted and you were, such a night in shining armor in that um on that occasion and you immediately said look I don't think it's right I don't think it's right for me but I know some water polo guys um you know I went to an all-girls school we had like basically no contact with boys um people of the opposite sex people who identify as male and you said but I will um, I will ask one of the boys that I train and get you set up. And you just so happen to set me up with the hottest 15-year-old that's ever existed on the face of the earth by yourself. <laughs> and he was such a gentleman and he brought me roses and he tried to pash me. It was just like <laughs> you did you did so well and that just really that really touched my heart and I found it find it so funny that five years later you were chasing me. <laughs> Look, I, I it's not an age gap. It's absolutely not an age gap, but I just felt at the time I was in university and you were still in school. It's like I just and like you know, maybe that that if you were in year twelve, like you know that wouldn't yeah. be. Yeah. But I just felt like, uh, yeah, you know, it, it is playing into fetishizing something, or um, and it's not cool, not cool, and especially when you can see you can value someone's friendship and their time, you don't want to ruin that by like just destroying boundaries and 
being a dick, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, there's a level of weirdness because my sister-in-law, Kate, your sister and I are the exact same age. And I just think it just wasn't appropriate. But I I had to ask. Like I just had to ask. And I think, you know, you knowing me, and we'll talk about this later on, but you know that if I'm curious about something, I just have to find out. And so I just had to I knew it was a bit of a far fetch, but I just had to ask because I thought I'd regret not asking more than asking and getting a no. Because yeah. what if you said yes? And I know, like I knew in my heart it wasn't appropriate, but I just had to ask. So <laughs> anyway, I'm glad you said no um, because, yeah, I think that that was way more powerful than you saying yes to me. Yeah. Um, and for I, I was not an appropriate 20-year-old. I was going through my own stuff back yeah, then. You were going I was, through I was stuff a bit of a rat bag, yeah. Yeah, but you were out, but you were... Like, yeah, you were out there having fun. Anyway, so fun, yeah. we met, we were next to neighbours for years and then we, it's interesting, Ed moved within the same suburb and then we kind of started courting. So we were very, very close, but it was more when Ed moved within the same suburb that we started um, going out. And we vacillated for actually a while, like we are kind of together, kind of, there was never a definition. Um, it was a funny start to a relationship relationship a very non-traditional start but it was ours and um I think where we've kind of reverse engineered relationships in terms of we haven't had that year and a half of like full throttle passion and then things die off I feel like you and I we just get better with age like we I feel like we never could really pinpoint why we were together from my, I don't want to speak for you, from my end, I feel like it's clearer to me now, 20, almost 20 years later, why we're together than why we were together 20, why we got together 20 years ago. I'll put it that way. A long pause. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I agree. There, there was definitely, it was a funny beginning, but I, well, I mean, it was an interesting time in my life too, because there's a lot of upheaval. I think we probably officially said we're going to start dating, but then my mother died. Um, so, yes. so it was a tumultuous time, and it's yeah. and it's weird when you can say like you know we're friends and we hang out and we hang out a lot, um, but when does that cross from being friendship to being more? Um, and I think it just evolved because um, I, I think we we actually spent a lot of time together. I think we got on really well together, and so there was already a strong foundation and it just, and it was that, that period is like, well, hang on, are we, are we friends or are we more than friends? Like when, mm-hmm. when's, when's this starting to cross? And you could remember that time when it, it was transitioning. Um, but then, yeah, my life went through a bit of upheaval. Um, mm-hmm. So it was an interesting beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think like it was, it's, it's just strange because we'd known each other for years Um known each other for years before we actually said it, yeah, you know what, we're we're together. Um mm. so it's it's not like we just met and, you know, hooked up and it was just all a flame for a few months or anything. It was um I think we had a really good rapport and a pretty strong foundation and we knew each other really well before we even started dating. Yeah, that's so true. We did. And something that I really cherish and value is the fact that I knew your mom. Um, before she passed, that I knew her for five, God, more than five years. 
um, that I knew her and I knew how much she meant to you. So to be able to see her just before she passed and before I went overseas for another um, stint, it was that I, I really felt that meant a lot um, that I knew who she was so that when you spoke about her, I knew exactly what you were saying because I knew who she was and I knew her character. Um, and God, she was a character. <laughs> yeah. So um, that could be a whole nother podcast episode talking about Ed's, Ed's beautiful, charism- charismatic mom, um, Gail. So it's, yeah, so that was that was a weird time. That was like you were, she'd passed, you were grieving. I was calling you from overseas. Like it was all just a bit. Yeah, it was a little bit weird our and rocky our start, but I think we've hit our I think we're kind of late bloomers in our relationship and it's actually very satisfying um that we are hitting a stride like later on in our relationship that I think some people peak really early and ours is kind of getting richer and deeper as we get to know who we are individually and as a couple and on the note of knowing who we are individually I was wondering if you can share with listeners about your experience of being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life and what that's been like for you and what that's been like in the context of our relationship and family. Yes, um, and it's, it's interesting because I know I'm part of a cohort that's being diagnosed at the moment. Uh, there seems to be a lot of people around my age, because um, I know we've spoken about this, it's like oh, everyone seems to be coming out with ADHD. But I also think um, I grew up in a period where um, they hadn't added the H yet, it was just ADD, and it was very much stigmatised. Um, it was very much seen as, you know, some kind of disability or um, looked down upon. So even like in hindsight, it actually explains so much of my life. So even Mm -hmm. there's periods there where, you know, you struggle, um, you know, you, you work, you're trying to work so hard, but you just can't get across the line with things because I, I pretty much failed high school. Like, you know, when you look at the HSC out of, out of a hundred, like, you know, I was appalling in year 12, but I had zero motivation and zero interest in a lot of the subjects I, I, I picked. And I picked it. There was a lot of pressure to, to kind of conform to a certain way and pick subjects for a certain outcome. Um, and I think it would have been better off picking different subjects. Um, and, you know, I, I go from failing high school or, you know, not quite failing high school, but pretty poorly um, to smashing it at university. I finally picked yeah. something that I enjoyed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, managed to scrape in, you know, and then uh, I did a grad diploma and I loved it. I, I would hyper-focus and, um, you know, and it's, and it's funny, all those traits of ADHD is like if it doesn't catch my interest, I struggle so much. But then there's stuff that really excited me. And it wasn't uncommon to sit down for periods greater than 12 hours and just not move. Mm. Um, I could literally sit there. And I, there's that classic when I did my first ma- or my, so my first or second master's. So I've got two and a half master's. I didn't bother 
finishing the third one because it actually got to the point where I just couldn't be bothered. Like it is literally, I don't need to prove myself. What am I doing this for? Let's just go and, and do it for real. Um, but I, I tell this story often. It's, um, you know, having to write 10,000 words sitting down on a Friday and I had to go away on the Monday. I wrote 10,000 words and got an HD. I pretty much worked all weekend. Just sat there on a Friday night coming home from work and then submitted it Sunday night, then Monday morning, away, um, away with the reserves. So being able to pull that out and, and get a HD because I was so passionate about that subject, it's just, it explains, I mean, that's only one example, but that kind of characteristic is like all or nothing in some respects. So I think, you know, people say like, you know, what triggered you to look at getting diagnosed, like even getting the diagnosis, like you can sit there and say, well, it sounds like I've got it. But I think a lot of people probably sit there and say, oh, I, I think I've got something. Um, but I, I think, you know, we had that discussion and we could see it with, you know, our daughters. You could start seeing characteristics come out with the eldest. And it was very much taking that step because we can be an armchair doctor and try and diagnose ourselves but actually going through the process and confirming that, um, it kind of validates the things that I, I feel work for me and though, and like helps me explore other things that don't work for me. It starts giving me clarity on um, what I'm feeling, but it also gives you a formal pathway for support as well. Like you can't go and get mm -hmm. um, a script for Ritalin or um any of the drugs unless you've been formally diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And there are other services you can't access unless you've been formally diagnosed. Yes, yeah. So really it's it's about trying to set myself up in a position well by saying, look, oh, you know, it feels like I've got it. You know, you spend a couple of years, like it's that whole COVID period. It's like, oh, my God, Ed, is this how you work? Like it's like, you know, seven or eight cups of coffee a day normal. And then you realise that you've been using, or well, I had been using the caffeine as, as a form of self-medication because mm -hmm. uh, it's quite common for people with ADHD to consume copious amounts of, of caffeine. Um, and apparently it's got a key, you know, um, protein in it to help stimulate the dopamine. But I would actually find that, you know, when I was working in the city, I could have four or five cups of coffee and I hit this, just hit this moment um, where I could sit down and within an hour smash out eight hours of work. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, it's, you realize that I'm probably compromising my health and keeping myself in a stress state because yeah. I know that's when I perform well. Yep. So yes. having that heightened stress and that heightened pressure because you could say something's due tomorrow. I'll go, yeah, it's due tomorrow. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. We can say something's due in a month and I'll say it's due in a month. I'm not going to start it. But if you say something's due in three or four hours, I will. So I would pull deadlines forward. I would take on additional work because even if something was due tomorrow and I'm like, yeah, but I'm not loaded up, I can't motivate. Like you just, your brain just does not kick into gear. So understanding that and being aware of that as well, um, you know, it's it's helping me put more strategies in place. It's helping me find the right avenues for, for support. And it's, And I think there's a lot of people my age who are coming out now because when we were younger, it you, you don't get diagnosed. Even... No there's still comments like, oh, well, this is just a way for psychiatrists to make money, um, you know, and everyone's got this. And it's like, well, I don't know if everyone's got this. Um, and, I, and I think more people are on the spectrum 
than probably a lot of people are given credit for. I work in an engineering field mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of engineers who are on the spectrum. I used to work in a big company and I would guarantee you there was probably more people on the spectrum than not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it was it was an adventure and, and I think it was good going through the whole process because it it means that when I look for help, I have clarity on what I should be looking for on resources and I actually have avenues for support. Mm. What do you think has changed, if anything, in the context of our household since you got diagnosed late 2021? I think it's good because it's not just me. Um, This is probably the same with any mental um, kind of condition. it doesn't affect the individual experience something, whether it's like, uh, you know, any, any kind of illness or like a neurodivergence or anything. It doesn't affect the individual. It affects everyone that interacts with that individual. Mm. Um, so I think for me, it it's helping me understand more about what could be triggering me um, and realising that um, I have to be a lot more conscious of like, you know, looking after my physical and mental health as well. Um, And it's just simple things like, you know, making sure I do take those breaks, making sure to help recognise when I'm not functioning properly and to mix things up and to make sure that I'm more productive. And even, um, I know we've spoken about it, I know we've spoken about it in sessions and stuff, it's it's how can I help um, you and the girls, how can I help, in the house, um, you know, as as a functional member of the family, um, that we're not going to operate the same. Mm. You're, you're going to have expectations and you operate mm-hmm. differently. And I think it helps you understand where I'm coming from and it helps me realise that what I'm experiencing is very different to, to what – and it, it seems stupid to say it um, or it seems obvious. I won't say stupid because even obvious things, it seems obvious to say it when, when you think about it, you go, oh, yeah, of course. But so many people, and definitely myself, it's it's so hard to stop and go. Well, you don't experience this the same way. No wonder you don't understand how I'm feeling, and you know you appreciate the fact that I'm like you know if I'm really hyper focused, it's like okay, it's going to take me a minute or two to break out of that. Or if, and I know we've spoke about this, like, like I'm not going to function well sometimes. You know if it's without kind of form of planning, don't spring things on me, don't break, you know, because I, I really I really fall apart. But, you know, we've, we've gotten a lot better now to say, hey, these are all the things that are happening this week. And I'm like... Yeah. yeah. And even simple things where, um, you know, if you're out or if you're working or something, I know that there are things that have to be ready. And you just hit moments, you get, well, I'm productive. I'm actually going to look at the schedule. I'll, I'll, make, I'll make the lunches. I'll do something the night before, you know, instead of the morning of, um, I can build more of a routine around it and I can take advantage of those moments where I go, I know here's a list of things that have to be done, not in the next hour, but in the next week or the next 48 hours. So when I have a moment where it's like, oh, shit, like I am on a high, I really am productive, I have to keep working because otherwise I will sit at my desk and just work on work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you will. And a part of that, you can, I mean, I feel like you can separate this from ADHD and the diagnosis is 
well, a component of that is that you're of superior intelligence, it turns out. If anyone isn't aware, I didn't know this. Um, but when you do go through your diagnosis, um, a part of that is intelligence testing, and Eddie is incredibly intelligent and has since joined um, joined Mensa, which okay. I told him twenty years ago. <laughs> okay, let's let's just say I don't like the term superior intelligence because. I know you say there's a lot more. There's a lot of ways to yeah, measure Yeah, we, we've I, talked about this forever. And, yeah, yeah, I don't even mean that when I say it. It's a, it's, a, it's a percentile based on this particular type of intelligence testing. And we have talked about this a lot. And we both recognise the vital importance of emotional intelligence as well and all the other forms of somatic intelligence and awareness and yeah most definitely but that that intelligence piece like a part of it I feel like there's parts of you where it's like yes it's ADHD and it's intelligence and it's passion it's pure fire that you have in you and that is just its own flame. The fact that you wrote in a folder when you were 20, 21 years old about your dreams of what you do in the space industry, and you did not start out in the space industry. So I just, I just want to recognize that it's yeah, it's you. You are not all. You're just just only a diagnosis at all. You are not four letters. You are so much more than that. And I feel like there's aspects of you that that diagnose that diagnosis just doesn't even describe or compensate for. Like you are um, such a master manifesto when you want to be. When you write something down, it happens. <laughs> and so part of my lectures to Eddie lately have been write it down and it's going to fucking happen. <laughs> you mentioned something. You mentioned something um, when you were speaking a few moments ago and it was about us going to sessions. What has that been like? We have been going to a couple of sessions for... It's almost, it's going to be a year soon enough. It's going to be a year soon at the time of recording um, because the months just keep flipping by. Going by what, fast. <laughs> what has that been like for you being in a long-term relationship and us collectively deciding that that is a viable option for us to nurture and support our relationship. Look, I, I think now that you're talking about it, there's there's a couple of a couple of points I think are, are worth making. Um, as you highlight, we're in a long term relationship, so you know we we got married in 2008. Um, don't even make me do the maths. We're dating a few years before then. <laughs> you love each math. Other. Come on, you know you want to do it. <laughs> um, yeah. um, but you know we we had known each other for a while before then so you can definitely say there's there's a long-term relationship and I think um and I don't know and I'd be interested to know if this is true for a lot of other couples um out there but you know you can get together and you, you have a period um you know we you know each other but we've been together long enough that we have changed um and, and this is where I think 
some of the value of the couple session has been really, really important is because people do change. People do grow. People um, grow apart. They grow together. They grow differently. Like we're never, ever going to be the same person. And it's ridiculous to think that we are. And I think that is hard when, you know, you start to change personally, like you start to value different things in life. Um, your work ethics change, like people may go through breakdown, stress, burnout, like you could say that a lot, mm. um, for, you know, over the last couple of years, that's, that probably resonates with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think where the value is, is, is even with someone you love and trust, sometimes it's hard to talk about the change you're going through because you're going through it. And that, that transition, it doesn't matter if you're 15, 25, 35, 45, any kind of life change you go through is hard and I think that's where um, that's definitely one area one aspect I think the sessions have been amazing um, is they've given us a very safe space where we've both had you know um, a voice we can both have that space to be heard have that space to to speak um, and to question um, and reconnect in some ways it's kind of um rediscovering ourselves and just communicating like who are we now and it's like what do we value and what is um and it's not just like oh you know we've you've had that habit you know for 10 years and it's really grating on me now it's like you have this habit and it's affecting you can see it's affecting you in a negative way it's affecting other people in a negative way um we we can deal with that and and we've definitely dealt with that in sessions and that's that's amazing because that's just making sure the, the the wheels are greased, so to say. It's like, you know, the relationship mm-hmm. still works. Mm-hmm. But I also think um, we're, we're able to discuss things like, you know, like, and because um, not only, you know, because I, I, see, I see the same person on a one-on-one basis as well. And for me, that's been really powerful because it's it's a definitely a point in life where it's like, well, hang on, am I working too much? Um, I don't have energy left. What am I doing? What am I valuing? How do I help myself? Where do I want to prioritize my time? Um, like basically, who do I want to be moving forward? Um, and it's simple questions, but they're hard answers. Uh, and I think, you know, it's vital from that kind of thing or that that perspective that we change and it's always great to have a space to talk about that change and to communicate it with each other just so that we know um, – you know, you can hear me talk and I can hear you talk and say, look, these are the things that I'm really struggling with. And or you, you're bringing stuff up that you realize, you know, have triggered you. Um, or, you know, I'll bring stuff up that's triggered me. Now, when I say you, I mean the collective us. Um, you know, and it's coming to the front and you, you, we're at a stage now where more emotionally and life experience, more emotionally mature and, and more rich in life experience, we can recognize some of those habits and some of those things that that we experienced young at a younger age or that we've had that in some ways are holding us back. So mm-hmm. it's great for that personal growth. It's great mm-hmm. to to grease the wheels and it's great because I I think it lets us change and evolve as human beings and lets it do it lets us do it together. And let's be honest, like there's a lot of people who I think drift apart and separate. Um, and there's a lot of people, you know, 
they'll they'll find connection elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. They rediscover new passions, and, it's, yeah. and I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I'm talking about you know, you know, there's there's interests and passions, and people are different at 40 than they were at 20, and if they're not, then that's pretty sad. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, we both agree on that. We've both witnessed each other change and evolve significantly over the years and source different passions and be like, okay, I'm doing this now, I'm into this. Or, But the interesting parallel between the two of us, and I will come back to couple sessions, is that the interesting parallel between the two of us is that it's always been the same thing but kind of just tasting different flavours of the same thing. So for you it's always been space but the way that you've like gone for that has been through all these different channels and for me it's always been personal growth self-intimacy but just the ways that I've gone about it has changed whether it's you know all the taboo stuff that you know that I've done so it's um fascinating that you I'm really stoked that you said that I feel like I'm most suspicious of people that haven't changed like that is actually like red flag it's like why haven't why haven't you changed people say oh you've changed and it's like yes you should be changing but um I will go so far as to say I think I know, I don't even have to say I think, I know that that was one of the best decisions that we ever made was to seek external support. And we are, I'm not going to say we're lucky, but because of what I've done over the years and who I've chosen to surround myself with, we are in such gratitude to who we see as um, who is an, they are an embodied counsellor and that makes all, has made, that's all I wanted. I did not want someone to just talk to our heads and talk to our minds. I don't care whether you're a psychologist or a PhD, I'm not, that doesn't impress me. What impresses me is how well you know your body and how well you do things through your body. And lucky for me, it just we just so happen to know someone because I've worked, um, they've, been my, um, they've been my tutor before. So that has been a key piece for us, I think, doing in the session time that we have, and it's an hour and a half, not just your bog standard 50 minutes or an hour. It's an hour and a half. So we go deep and we go all in and we go into our bodies and we do it together. And the biggest breakthrough I had with you, which I'll do a whole different episode about because it's too big to bring into here, but I've had lots of breakthroughs in there with you. But one of the biggest one was around receiving your love, like receiving uh, your your devoted, unconditional love and fully receiving it. And I and how challenging I find that because of my family of origin, because of my history, because of, you know, a lot of historical factors. So that I'm eternally grateful for that breakthrough that came through this year in being confronted with being such a giver of love and knowing that you're a giver of love but then issues with receiving it it's been it's been huge I don't know if you have anything to say about that (laughs) but I swear that's a whole other that's a whole other story but if you have anything to share (laughs) around that no I I, I I remember that session and it was a huge break, breakthrough for you and and it's interesting 
you know that that receiving love was um, was hard because mm. um, since then I've actually I have noticed a change in our interactions. I have noticed um, you know how we'll you know um, engage when I get home. Like you know you're more open to like receiving touch or a hug um you're more o- open to like you know that, that cuddle um and that's that's big for me but it's it's interesting that um receiving was so hard for you because i i think um like well i not i think i know that i definitely have issues around yeah. receiving yeah. and i know i don't know where they all stem from but i know that there's a root in there about taking um, moving into those shadows and mm. when you're receiving, it's like, you know, I feel almost guilty to receive. Mm. Um, so, like, you know, your breakthrough has actually led to me reflecting on a lot of my own behaviours because, um, like, I love to receive. Like, I love to be to be pampered, but then there's also moments where, um, and it could be simple, like, you know, just asking for a back rub or asking for for something to receive something um it doesn't necessarily have to be an intimate act like it is intimate but i mean sexual act but even then it's is there's um probably there's a root of guilt and almost like obligation it's like now that i've received i have to pay back and i don't want to owe people things i don't want to feel responsible for it so I will deny myself certain things because I don't want to owe anyone else anything. Mm. Um, so you're seeing and, a tally. Like the tally board is very dangerous. Oh, yeah, completely. In giving and receiving, taking and allowing. Very, very dangerous. And what we're refer- referencing here is The Wheel of Consent by Betty Martin, uh, which I've talked about in The Secrets of Taking. And or taking what you want. That's what that episode is called. And yeah, it's the tally board is very dangerous because we then constrict when we've got this opportunity to receive. And I think we've both been victim to our mind that says, oh, it can't be possible to receive even more because. I've got all this evidence that you've already received enough. So isn't there like a cap on it? Isn't there a, um, so that's an interesting one. And it's very, what's interesting about our love languages is that, um, and people find this interesting. Mine, my fifth love language is touch. (laughs) Like my last one is touch and I study sexology. And yours, yours is definitely number one touch. And it's like the first thing in me that shuts down when I, you know, become contracted. But for you, it's just this ultimate source and well of being affirmed and belonging and everything. So it's just a, it's a funny dynamic that we have. And it's interesting how, I need to sometimes extend beyond my comfort zone to give you touch, even though it might not be my inclination. And you need to extend beyond your comfort zone to um, provide words of affirmation. It's just like it's just such an interesting game. <laughs> like you can feel each of us is like <laughs> trying, you're trying so hard to give me words. And I'm like going, oh, do you want your 
do you want your foot touched? (laughs) 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 It's just like, oh, my goodness. But it creates a lot of. It, it creates a lot of interest. It's a funny one that we've got. So if you're listening and you're in a relationship with different love languages, don't despair. It's a work in progress. It's not the be all and end all. It's one aspect of your relationship um, <laughs> and the way that you interact. I want to make sure, and I did share this on the secrets of having a second place when you're in a relationship. Um, go back and listen to that episode. I want everyone to make sure that everyone knows that we, I think this is really important, by the way, that we started couple sessions before we got the apartment. And I, the reason why I want people to know that is because I never want people to think uh, we're on the, like we're on the rocks or we're in distress and we need space from each other or whatever the intention is, let's go get a, an apartment, let's go get a second place for however many months and like let's cross our fingers and hope it will work. What's your take? Um, I'm not asking you to agree with me because that's manipulation. <laughs> I don't want to manipulate you into an answer. But what's your take on the way that we did things, like couple sessions and then we got the apartment? And what has the apartment given to our relationship? Yeah, so we weren't, we weren't on the rocks. And then, you know, with the apartment, um, and look, the, and it's probably important to highlight, it's like, it's not like we're flush with cash and it's like, yep, you know, $50 bills everywhere and, and we've got this, you know, um, penthouse suite. Um, geez, that'd be nice. Um, well, that's the goal, right? That's one that's of the, the like 4,000 goal. goals that we've got. Um, but I love it. Like the apartment is a godsend. The fact that we can afford like a, a small furnished apartment, um, it has given and and the location's amazing. So we did, we did like you know if you, someone's going to say we're lucky, we're lucky in the sense that we scored an amazing location. Um, you know, right in South Brisbane, it is fantastic, um, and it's a haven. Um, and I know, and and it's. Seems weird, but it's, it's like, especially over the last couple of years, I think what everyone has realized, and I'm going to put words in everyone's mouth out there. <laughs> go um, on, do it, go, Eddie. Just do it. Meet your edge. <laughs> is it, we need our fucking space. Bottom yeah. line is yeah. we are still individual people and we've and there's a lot of people who've been locked up together, people have been isolated together. It's like people need their space. And what this place has given us is a, it's given us a place to go that is separate from the house and i think that has been the biggest value it's not a separate room um and i mean that would be the backup if we couldn't afford a place i I would be like looking at a separate space where it's like no kids or like you could lock yourself away Mm. um because everyone needs a place where they can go and mentally like you can feel safe and just mentally check out and have a fraction of the responsibilities just feed yourself sleep and relax um and i think it's it's been huge because um anyone with kids will absolutely agree it doesn't matter how patient or how amazing your kids are there's always a breaking point Mm. um they they're growing and they're testing boundaries and that's because that's what they're doing they're trying to find their place in the world so their whole purpose at, at this stage in life is to test you so of course you're going to like you know 
get to the edge and go, oh, my God, help me. Um, yeah. So, and I, I think that's what the the apartment has absolutely given us. It's, it's given us a place to go. Um, like I've gone there, you know, watched movies, hung out, um, you know, like read, write, just spend time on yourself. Or I've gone out and I've met up with friends mm. and still have a place to go to. Mm. Um and I know you've you've done similar things as well, but then we've also had we have had family time there, so because we can go out and it's like we've got like a little retreat that we can go to, and the girls will go there, we'll make lunch, and they get super excited because it's a it's a huge day out. So we've used it as a family, even though kids don't stay over, uh, well except for New Year's. Um, oh, that that was a must though. That was that was a must. Awesome. That, that was, was fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and and like we are so blessed, and it has it has literally, I think it has literally been a savior for us both. Yeah, I think yeah, I feel it has as well. And yeah, to emphasize what he said, we weren't at breaking point or anything, but we had a blow up in October twenty twenty one, and tensions were building. You hadn't, and I'm not, I'm not citing ADHD as the source of this, but it was just, it was, it just felt like a very edgy time. I think you would just might've had one appointment to start the process. Anyway, things were just in a bit of influx. I'll put it that way. And we were in, we'd been in, it wasn't so much that we'd been locked down, but we'd been separated from family for such a long time. And that was very testing, you know, having two children and not having that freedom to see our family. I mean, that's the, a lot of people can echo that um, that experience. And it just felt like as soon as I said it in the heat of the moment, which was a discussion that we'd had interestingly enough, interestingly enough, maybe nine months before, like as a one-off one night, and then we just left it and we didn't pursue it any further. But it's almost like I felt it in my body that it was happening that day. Like I could feel it. You started looking and then it all happened quite quickly. Um, It has been such a, um, it hasn't been an expense. It has been an investment in our relationship, in our individual identities, in our social life, in our nervous system, in our creativity. That space has given, allowed me to, have new creative downloads just and the time and the rare occasions just you and I have been there together <laughs> has been so beautiful as well and so connected. So if anyone's listening and it is a possibility for you to trial this on a short-term basis, this is just um oh, it's just been a godsend and we know we're privileged and we know that this is absolutely phenomenal that we can do this. Um, so if you are in a position to do this, oh, my God, don't. And you are in a process of talking about your relationship and the other factors going on, then this is a wonderful step to um, explore yourself. And if you can't for, for some reason do this financially or um, contractually, whatever, then like finding a hotel or a space that you like to develop a relationship with and go on a regular basis, I would say is the next best thing if you can't do a commitment, but just get that space, get the space, yeah. take it. Well, that's, well, that's, I think we'd, we'd had that discussion as well. It's like, you know, 
we could go to a hotel room, but you can pay two or $300 for a hotel room and you're checking in it to getting kicked out at nine or 10 the next day. So you're not really, so you, you know, you want to stay two nights. Radio, there's your um, four to $600. That's a week's rent for two nights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's when you realize, well, hang on, if I'm going to do this more than one weekend a month, you're halfway to actually paying for a furnished yeah, apartment in yeah, some yeah. In some locations. And I, yeah. I actually remember having this conversation with a, a former colleague. Um, and they were asking me, they said, oh, you know, they're asking me about the apartment and they go, Oh, that's really interesting. Like, why are you doing it? And they ask me questions. And then I basically got to the the crux and and this is I know this is stuff that you've said as well. It's but there are no rules. Like there are why no rules? Why not? Like why we not? don't have an apartment. Like people have beach houses. Like you know, like you always see movies or people who can afford it. They've <laughs> always like you know. You, you come from Sydney and you and in some of the suburbs, it's not uncommon for oh, we're going up to our beach house. It's like yeah, my yeah. God, that's that's nice to have. Um, <laughs> but it's it's not un, it's not uncommon. So people do it. People have yeah. it. They have spaces that they can go to, and then you realize what's actually holding you back and and I think if you were and okay and this may be a gross generalization but I, I think if people were to be honest and reflect there's probably an assumption there that you don't do it like that you live life a certain way but when you get to it you go but why do I have that assumption yeah you just question you just it. get given it yeah you just yep yeah and when you question it that's when things get powerful and I remember a moment when because you went straight into problem solving mode when I brought up the apartment in October 2021, the day that we had that blow up, <laughs> which thank fuck, I'm so grateful to it. It was so cathartic and generated this wind of change and this forged our bond even more. So thank God we had, I'm grateful to the disagreement and the tension that was in our lives then for generating such change. And I want people to hear that because not all tension and disagreements and blow-ups and all the rest of it are bad. Like don't demonize them. They can be wonderful instigators where you are numb. They can be one wonderful instigators where you kept sweeping something under the rug and hoping that it would be okay. And um I just am so, I'm so grateful for that. And I knew in my body when you started looking, I was like, oh, shit, this is happening. Like, And I had this brief moment in time where it's like, what would people think? And I went, no, nope. I immediately, before I could even finish that thought in my head, it was like a lasso, is it a lasso? Lasso? So, Las- yeah. Yep. Yep. And it was like, whoosh, I just whipped it straight back and went, not going there. Don't give a fuck. No, no, you don't. Like I just immediately went, that is old little girl shit talking. You are a fully-fledged woman. You make this decision. And I asked myself in that moment, very again, this like all happened in a nanosecond, by the way. It was just like, it's your life. What are you going to be satisfied with on your deathbed? It's your life. What is right for you and what is right for the longevity of this relationship? And I just... I didn't even need, I did not think about anyone. I thought, fuck them. It's not their decision to make. They are not the ones that are in our life and in our situation and experiencing the tensions that we were feeling as a result of the culmination of contextual factors, individual factors, just everything going on. 
That was interesting. Okay, I, I've got to say tangent alerts and stuff here, um, but I had this conversation today and I think it, it is kind of related. Um, like, you know, that, that whole thought of like, what will other people think? Um, and, you know, my conversation today was, was kind of stemmed around the fact that if I could go back to my 20-year-old self with what I know today, the first thing I would say is don't give a shit about what other people think because when you mm-hmm. look around at all your peers at the moment, mm-hmm. when you're older, you realize you're all thinking the same thing and you're all afraid of the same thing and no one is talking and no one realizes that you're all in the same shit together. And it's like when you're kind of saying, but what will other people think? It's like, well, you know, if we're honest about this and, and people had more honest discussions, most people would be most people wouldn't think negative of it. Most people are probably sitting there going, oh, shit, that's interesting. That may work for me or may not work for me, but it would be an open discussion. I think if we're honest, um, you know, I think we a lot of us all go through the same shit, but we never see other people's stuff. Like people don't hang out their, their dirty laundry. You know, people put on the facade on, on social media and, and we think we're the only ones going through like turmoil and struggle. And I think mm. that's what makes it hard because you feel yeah. so alone. Yeah. But, but we're not. And that's, and that's definitely the advice I'd give my 20-year-old self is you're not alone. Everyone's struggling through the same shit pile. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what the world looks like on the outside. If, if you have that connection with people, be honest with them, have these honest discussions, and you'll probably you'll find support through that honesty because you'll realize that, People aren't going to judge you. Like people who are true friends and stuff, they're not going to judge you. And mm. I think there's more people who are more open-minded and more accepting and more willing to talk. And and maybe, you know, maybe for a 20-year-old or a 15-year-old, it's it's you know very hard to to experience that. But when you hit your 40s, like 30s and 40s, people just kind of stop caring about, you know, trying to appear perfect to the world. And they, they're just honest. They become, I found in my experience, people have just become more honest as you get older and you just you just stop caring about putting that, that facade with people. Um, and that's so true, I think. But we still hold ourselves back by saying, what will other people think? But if mm-hmm. we're honest, mm-hmm. it's like they would, they'd be envious or they wouldn't give a shit. Yeah. Like we stop ourselves when, you know, when we stop ourselves and really it's us stopping ourselves. It's not anyone else. No one else has actually passed judgment on us. Yeah. Yeah. I want to echo those statements. It's just the 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 more and the more, and it's not just age, it's the more that you know yourself because there are people that are in their 40s and they still don't know themselves and they're still playing pretend. So it's not just Wait, an age thing. It's a, it's a um, I want to say convergence or nexus of age and the willingness to um, to know yourself on that whole other level that really allows for you to be unapologetic about who you are, what you want to do, unfuck with a bull. Um, one of my favourite That's a mouthful. <laughs> Don't get out your synonym finder now, Eddie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll have my lexicon on, on with hand. with a bull. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So one of the last points or probably the last point I would love to bring up with you is what is it like for you 
to what was it like for you when I released the episode, The Secrets of Being Bi in mid-2021? Can you share what things were like from your end? Because I basically sprung it on you. But like before I actually released it, I sprung the recording on you because I didn't even know I was going to do it. What are your memories of that time? Um, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> um, so it was a little bit surprised that um, you thought, well, hey, you know, I'm just going to do this, this this podcast, and I was like, okay, cool. Um, but I mean, when you mentioned it to me, it's like I had zero problems with it. Um, I was just surprised that it happened as a podcast and it's like okay cool um i do remember um you telling me the story of you you telling your parents just giving them a heads up um (laughs) and i find both of their responses hilarious um (laughs) your your dad's just saying it's going to affect me it's like no you go all good then um (laughs) and, and if if you know you know um and then <laughs> your mum's response, like, I love both your parents. Do not get me wrong. I think both your parents <laughs> are amazing. But your mum's response of how does Eddie feel about this? I What, what, what was his reaction to the news? What, she what was his reaction? News? I was like, oh, he's known forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mama. And, it's, and, it's, and it was... It was interesting because I just thought, like, I know your mum was asking out of a place of love and concern because yeah. I, oh, I, yeah. I really like your mum. Like, yeah. you know, she is, she has been um, very much a, a surrogate mother figure for me as well, Aww. especially as oh an adult. God, so, never, I've never heard you say that. Uh, I've, don't worry, I've, I've, I swear I've said it before, but, um, but you know, I don't say it often enough. Um but I just thought I know she's she's asking out of a good place, but I, I but I also had a moment there. I just went, oh my god, like it's not about me. This is about you. Mm. Um, and and I suppose, um, you know, in other ways, I was really proud, um, proud and envious that you had a platform where you could be yourself and you could express yourself and come out to your audience, um, and just connect with them on that level because I think mm-hmm. that's that's amazing and I think that's that's brilliant to be so to, so vulnerable um so you know my experience was yeah like you know this is a very queer household um <laughs> very <laughs> very queer household um, it's a very queer neurodivergent household, household. We've got. at the, at this point we have 50% of members diagnosed as neurodivergent and I mean and I emphasize at this point, it's not going to surprise point. me if that, if that, that if goes, goes up. up to 100%. Well, and, you know, you, you could say at, 50, at this at this point, 50% of us are bi. Um, we just need to see what our daughters are. Mm. Um, mm. And But I, I also think we're, we're, I love the fact that you express yourself on, on a platform like that because one of the things that, is constantly in the back of my mind. Is like, you know, we didn't have like a hard life growing up. Like it wasn't always easy. You know, we had our own issues and I mm-hmm. definitely like, 
I, I can't complain about my upbringing from certain aspects, like from a material point of view, um, but definitely from an emotional point of view, I think the whole um, undiagnosed ADHD and, and how I identify and how, like you know, myself and, and who I am, that like, you know, you go to an all boys school um, and trying to understand yourself as a, as a young man, it's, you don't get support from your peers. I never got support from my peers um, to really kind of understand who I am, how I identify, like, like how am I going to fit um, in this world and find my way in this world? So, and that's probably why you know, um, always told that, that guys mature later and, you know, and maybe guys don't mature later because of, of nature. I think guys mature later because of nurture. We get, you know, told boys can be boys and we don't actually support that emotional development. But I know um, you coming out on, on the podcast, I think was amazing because I don't want our daughters to ever fear or worry about who they are. Mm. I want them to know that any way that they find themselves or, or how they see the world and see themselves in that world, mm. that they are supported and loved. And I think that was um, probably, you know, like for yourself, it was probably an, an amazing thing to do. But I think for, for us, um, you know, identifying as a, as a queer household, you know, and finding it as a safe place for, for our kids um, as well. I think it's tremendous with that as well. Mm. And I've said as well way too many times as well. <laughs> I was going to say we'll edit out those as wells, but, like, I just can't Leave be bothered. It. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even bother asking the team to, like, can you edit out half the as wells that he said at the end of the episode? I can't. It's not going to happen. Um, everyone just has to take you as you are and you need to be unapologetic <laughs> about that. Um, thank you for what you said. It's really, um, oh, it's just fascinating to hear it in that concise but to hear your take in such a concise way, I feel like that's something that is missing, can be missed in long-term relationships is just reflecting and getting a concise take on something that has happened within the relationship or something significant. So it's, it's um, thank you, just thank you. I could prattle, but I'll, um, I'll tighten it up a little bit and... <laughs> And I just wanted to finish up this episode by singing your praises. And um, I feel like you are, and I've said this for years, and this isn't about me getting on my high, high horse about what I've said for years, which I know you, you know I like to indulge in once in a while. I said that so long ago. But I mean this in the most humble uh, candid way. I've said this for years that when you're in your 40s, people will start paying attention to you and you will, you are a secret that people will find out when you're in your 40s. And I knew it. I knew that you'd hit your stride in your 40s. I knew that you'd um, gain momentum in your 40s. And I am. it's such a joy and a pleasure to witness that happening in real time. And I've always known it's always been interesting being with you and knowing that you are this fucking secret. And I was like, this can't last forever. Like can't possibly last forever that like the world needs 
not just men like you, but people like you that are so loving and such big dreamers and the world just needs more of you. And I can see um, how people connect with you and how much people, other people love you and just, um, yeah, in your world, in your sphere of and in your silo of influence, I can see how much people love you. And I don't think I was really privy to that until recently, just jumping on LinkedIn and going, oh, my God, okay, good. He's being seen. He's acknowledged. Secrets out. Um, you are a trailblazer. You're a pioneer. You are a futurist. And I think that's one of the things, I know that that's one of the things that we really connect on is that we're both intuitive futurists. And we can see uh, what's playing out before it's even happening. And we're like, yeah, we knew that was going to happen. Like, (laughs) but we don't, (laughs) I think that's why, you know, you look at a side by side and it's like, how the hell are they in a relationship? Why does that even work? Like we didn't even have that beautiful 18 months of limerence where it's like all passion and fire, but it works and it's our thing. And I'm really excited that the listeners of The Secrets Women Keep will um, know more about you, Eddie, and I just, above all, I really want to thank you for standing by a woman that has chosen to do undertake her own venture, and I know that that has had very, very testing moments. You have always stood by me. You've always encouraged me. You've always given me the words that I really, that really gave me a boost when things get hard in entrepreneurship or testing or challenging when all the shit comes up. And I really believe that without you, I, in fact, I know that without you, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't think uh, Lauren White confidant would um, be what it is. I know it wouldn't be what it is. It might still be around. It might be a version of it, but I know that it wouldn't be um, what it is right now impacting so many people's lives. And I just want to thank you so much for standing by me and trusting me. It is an honour. To be nice and simple, it is an honour and thank you so much for your kind words. Mm. Um and, you know, I, I will just say briefly that I remember right before we got married, my cousin Pete actually just said, um, when you get married, you're not taking on a wife. You are finding a partner. And he said, you hear people say partners. He goes, but this is a person who is your life partner, not just someone who's with you for life, but they share everything and they support you, support each other. You really are. It is a partnership. Mm. And and it was weird just to kind of shift that generic um, use of the term partner to like, oh, what does a partnership really mean? And um, and I've taken that to heart and I have, I always want to be there for you because, like, honestly, we are a partnership. We, su- we succeed um because we work well together and we support each other Mm. yeah I agree I agree and that is such a key along with nurturing the emotional side and the sexual side and 
Um, God, we haven't even gone into sex tonight. God, like definitely need a second episode. <laughs> no, <laughs> pegging one hundred and one next week. Yeah, next Stop week, <laughs> part two <laughs> of the four hundred part series. <laughs> um, no, but it 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 really is, and um, yeah, that means that means a lot to me to to hear that, and the partnership aspect is number one, and it's. It's never going to be in balance, by the way. If anyone's listening, striving for balance, don't strive for balance. Just strive for, and don't even strive, it's not the right word, but ask yourself where is the flow in our relationship because you gen, it generally just flow, flows back and forth. Like there are times in his career that where and shifts in that where it takes up more of the energy in the household and then it comes back to me and just flows between us like don't expect don't compete don't just allow it to be a fluid thing that flows back and forth for however long it needs to and buddy be each other's best cheerleaders because if you're not cheering for your partner they're going to look for that affirmation elsewhere and I'm not saying it's a threat of affairs or anything but like they will get it they will get it from someone else and it it's on you to be if you're invested in the relationship to be the ultimate cheerleader of yourself and the ultimate cheerleader of the person that you're choosing to be in a relationship with yeah eddie can you share with us your public instagram handle because you've got two accounts can you share with us your public ins- just shout it out what it's called and i'll put it in the show notes and your linkedin profile if anyone wants to connect with you on linkedin yes my um public insta should be an aussie space guy <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah uh and just Edwin Beta is on my LinkedIn and mm. um, name you'll is have the links in, available. We think the name is one in eight billion, so you should be able to find him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should be able to find him. Um, Eddie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've got no doubt that this will really touch listeners' lives and um, generate beautiful ripples of impact for women leaders on the rise and pioneers that are looking to know that they are they can be supported themselves either by their current partner or their future partner that there are plenty of beautiful souls out there like you that are like more that have so much love to give and are here for the long term and to really shine a light on what women and other marginalized groups do really really well so thank you for being you and we'll have to get you back on the podcast at some point if you'd love to consenting to that (laughs) okay absolutely